Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe and I'm one of the leaders here. We're really glad that you're here. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. Say thanks for coming. If this is your second time here, maybe you came last week and you came back this week. Again, uh, we're especially glad that you're here because you came back to be with us. So welcome back. Thanks for coming again. Something that we do every Sunday is we open the Bible and we study it together. And I am pleased to announce that today is the day many of us have been waiting for. And that we are done with the book of Acts today. It's kind of like an old friend moving away from home. We started studying the book of Acts in February of 2016. And we've been in this book for a year and a half, and we've taken our time through the stories, and we've learned a lot about many different things. We've learned a lot about who Jesus is. We've learned a lot about how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. We've learned a lot about the church and how God leads his people who follow him. And we've learned a lot about ourselves, how God interacts with us as people. And one of the primary themes that kept jumping out of the book of Acts, and you probably noticed it, is that everywhere God's people go, there seems to be some sort of adversity that's coming their way. The, the men and women whose job it was to spread the message of Jesus in those first years of the church very often were subject to imprisonment. Many of them were beaten. Some of them were killed just because they wanted to share the message of Jesus. And we see this all throughout the Bible even, that God's people experience adversity very often. And many of us would probably say that we've experienced some sort of adversity in our lives. Some of it is very great and very heavy and very difficult to endure. And some of it is kind of light, just where you have a bad day. Has anyone ever had one of those days where everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong? It's like Murphy's Law is working in your favor and everything that's happening to you is the opposite of what you planned or wanted. Well, some of you may remember about six weeks ago, Pastor Jeff stood before us and said that we had an opportunity to partner with a missions organization who is located at an Indian reservation in Wolf Point, Montana. And many of you were able to financially give to that. Many of you prayed about that. And, and when we asked them, what's one way we can help? They said, we need some bathrooms remodeled in these houses that we have. So you see, they've bought houses because their mission there is to attract teachers to come and teach the children in that school district. And so one of the ways that they attract teachers is that they give them free housing. It's a pretty great deal. You get a salary from the school district. 
You get free housing, and you don't even have to have an education degree, just a bachelor's degree. That's my elevator pitch if anybody wants to make a difference and pay off some debt. Two years of free living in this place. And, and, and they attract people because they bought homes there, and they're willing to put you in them. But because they got some of these homes at a pretty good deal, they needed a little bit of work done on them, primarily in the bathrooms. And so when we said, what's one way they could help? They said, we need some bathrooms remodeled. Pastor Jeff said, bet, I've done that many times. And so a group of six men on Friday gathered together in a long camper with a trailer hitched to the back full of tools and supplies to make their 18-hour journey to Wolf Point, Montana. Now, I didn't know this, but it's not a straight shot from Decatur, Illinois to Wolf Point, Montana. You have to go north through Wisconsin and then back west and down, and it's an 18-hour drive. And they left at 10 p.m. to, yeah, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but they, they decided to leave at 10 p.m. because they want to make it around early evening the very next day and get there and maybe relax that evening before the hard work really begins. So 10 p.m. comes. They meet here at the church and get ready to go. And all of a sudden, there's an issue with the brake lights. No problem. The guys get out and start looking at it. And these guys are smart. They're contractors. One's a plumber. Pastor Jeff is there. People, people who aren't slouches, like they should be able to figure this out. But for some reason, the problem is so great that they had to call an electrician. Who do you call at 10 p.m. to come look at your brake lights that won't work? Well, they finally get an electrician there to fix this issue with the trailer's brake lights. And by the time that's done, it's now 2 a.m., So 2 a.m. comes, and they get in the camper and go to start, and the camper's battery has died. <laughs> they have to call a tow truck to come and charge the camper's battery. Okay, so finally, by 4 a.m., they've made it to Bloomington <laughs> on their 18-hour journey that they were supposed to start at 10 p.m., when they get to Bloomington, they have an issue with the engine that they have to stop at a mechanic shop in Bloomington at 4 a.m. 7 a.m. rolls around. Everything's going fine. The sun is up. And then, wouldn't you know, a tire blows. You can't make this stuff up. So they change the tire. They get on the road. And they get all the way to Wisconsin. Awesome. Everything's going fine. We'll be a little late. We only lost eight hours. Not that big of a deal. And someone says, we should stop at this Walmart in this town and buy four new tires because we've already used our spare. And at this rate, who knows what could happen? So great idea. They pull into Walmart to buy four new tires. And when they get there, they learned that five minutes before they arrived, the power in the town went out and none of the cash registers will work. <laughs> that was the last we heard from them. I, I hope they're okay. I'm sure God is protecting them in this. But, but when things like that happen, when adversity comes in situations like that, it's easy to take one of two stances. One, we either look at that situation and we say they were going to do God's work, so obviously the devil, the enemy of our souls, is at work trying to stop them. Then on the other hand, we might say God obviously didn't want them to go to Wolf Point, Montana, <laughs> And he's trying to get their attention. Like, you, you asked me what you wanted me to do. I sent you a flat tire. I sent you a dead battery. Are you not getting the picture? And 
If we lived our lives by those two rules, that either the devil's opposing us or God is opposing us, we would be living out of sync with the way the people who followed Jesus that we read about in the book of Acts lived. Because their lives were full of adversity, and it's not often we find them giving the devil credit for stopping God's plans. In fact, I, I think that we, we give him too much credit by suggesting that he could halt the things that God wants to do through his people. And then on the other hand, I think, I think we don't give God enough credit by suggesting that he wouldn't tell us beforehand not to go do something like that and that he would let us go through all of that trouble. Surely you could have given us a sign before the flat tire, before the dead battery, right? But what we find in the lives of the people throughout the book of Acts, and specifically in chapter 28 where we'll be today, is that not only is God present and involved in those circumstances and situations, but at times it appears that he may even be orchestrating our adversity for his glory. This is the, seems to be the life of the Apostle Paul. He's one of the primary characters in the book of Acts. He becomes a Christian after having been someone who lived his life to murder and persecute them. And after he's converted, he spends the rest of his life sharing the message of Jesus with other people. He goes to towns and plants churches. He starts Bible studies. He trains people on how to follow Jesus. And his life is full of difficulties. At one point, he's in a town telling people about Jesus, and they hate what he has to say so much that they pick up rocks and throw them at him trying to kill him with them. His life is full of adversity. In chapters 26 and 27, we learn that as he's traveling on his way to the city of Rome, the ship that he's on gets caught in a wind and they spend days, weeks on the sea. They run out of food. They're completely lost and they can't even navigate by the stars, which is what they used to do in those days, because the clouds are so thick in the sky. And eventually, the ship runs aground on this island called Malta. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 28. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 28. We'll be in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, underneath the seat around you is a hardback black Bible. You can pay, turn to page 937. And we'll also put the words up on the screen for you. But in 28 verse 1, it says, After we were brought safely through... We then learned that the island was called Malta, which is the origin of malt beverages, I believe. <laughs> That's what Pastor Jeff told me anyway. That, and verse 2, it says, the native people showed us unusual kindness. And just as a quick side note about this uh, little thing right here, these native people, the word translated native into the English is where we get our word barbarian from. So we could read that the barbarian people showed us unusual kindness. Now, the barbarians in ancient days weren't what we think of barbarians. We probably picture something like a Viking, like someone who's coming to pillage my home and take things from me and is crude and, and primitive. But in those days, a barbarian was anyone who didn't speak Greek. And so these people, these barbarians, they just didn't speak Greek. It's not necessarily primitive, but it's interesting that they showed them unusual kindness, kindness that was above and beyond what was expected to show to strangers, especially people whose boat had just crashed on the shore. 
And when I read this, I began to be convicted about my own Christian kindness paling in comparison to this barbarian kindness. How they were kind to these strangers who washed up on their shore and how easy it is for me to be unkind to people who don't believe the same as I do or don't think the same as I do or who don't look the same as I do. It's easy for me to miss out on that and I was convicted by the lives of these barbarians whose kindness was greater than that of some Christians I've met. Moving on. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. There was apparently a snake in this bundle of sticks that he didn't realize was there. Throws it on the fire. It comes out and bites his hand. Verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, he survived that shipwreck. Justice has not allowed him to live. Now, these Maltese worshipped a multitude of gods, and one of their gods was someone who personified justice. They believed that he roamed about the earth seeking people who had performed some wrong deed and that his job was to avenge that deed. And so when they see this snake biting Paul on the hand, it makes sense to them that, oh, the God of justice is about to take his life because of what he has done. Verse 5, it says, He, however, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. It goes on to say that when that happened, they began to call him a god. And they changed their minds about him. They, they assumed that because he'd been bitten by the snake, he shook the snake off, which is pretty awesome. And they stand and wait and watch for him to die, which is kind of creepy. And when he doesn't die, they realize there's something special about him. The God of justice couldn't kill him. He must himself be a God. And it's interesting how when their view of justice was tampered with, they began to worship a different God. They, they changed who they put their worship onto when their view of justice was changed. And it is my hope today that if we have an incorrect view of justice, particularly God's justice, that the Holy Spirit would tamper with it and change it for his glory. So would you pray with me before we move on that we might ask him to do whatever he wants to in our hearts? Lord, we are so thankful for truth. We're thankful that you love truth and that you are truth. I pray that as we read the scriptures today and we learn more about you, Jesus, that that we would come to love you because of who you are and that we would love you more because of who you are. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned that these Maltese worshipped many false gods, and, and I believe that in our culture there are also many false gods. Now, I'm not talking about the easy ones like the gods of, of relig other religions that aren't Jesus. I'm not speaking of those false gods. I'm I'm talking about false gods that are a little more subtle, the ones that we, we don't realize or don't necessarily understand are actually false gods. One of them we call karma. 
And we worship this idea that what goes around comes around. And if I do good in this life, good will come back to me. And if I do evil in this life, evil will come back to me. And we tell other people, you better watch out. Karma's going to get you, bro, if you, if you don't watch what you're doing. And we hear other people say, wow, look what karma, karma caught up to that person. See all they're going through? Do you know what he did to me? Karma's having her way with him now. And we worship this idea that there's this impersonal force that roams around the earth seeking to reward or punish people for what they've done. And this is a false god. Now, now this idea of wanting justice, I believe, is inherent within all of us. We were created in God's image, and God is supremely just. And so because he's supremely just, and we were created in God's image, I believe that there's a part in all of us that wants to see justice carried out. We want to see wrongs righted. We want to see good deeds rewarded. But it is easy for us to take these ideas and personify them and then worship that God. Now, I know many of you in the room are Christians, and you would say that because you're a Christian, you don't worship any God but Jesus. So you don't worship karma. You don't believe that karma exists. What you believe in is God's justice. And it's easy for us as Christians, and I know because I was one who once believed this way, to think that God is always out to get me when I'm doing something wrong. That he's just lurking over my shoulder, not in a loving way, but in a way that he can't wait to smash me for my sins. That he's supremely upset with me at all times, and if I do something that makes him happy, he might crack the corner of his mouth and grin. Otherwise, most of the time, he's upset with me. This is a false god that I like to call Christian karma. Where we call him Jesus, but we say the same thing of him. What goes around comes around, and God's going to get you for that. Oh, God will take care of what they're doing. This view of God is also false because it says that either blessings or adversity in life is a result of my obedience or disobedience to him. And I think that through the scriptures, we will prove that that is incorrect. See, that's not who we see God is within the Bible. And we'll get to that moment. But there are a few things that we have to understand about justice to to realize that that's not who God is. And the first one is that we, humanity, is unjust. We're all sinners. We come out of the womb in rebellion against God. We can't wait to lie and steal and take what's not ours to not share with our friends. And if that's not curbed as a child, we can't wait to do the same things as an adult that only create greater consequences. This is who we are as human beings, sinful people, people who are unjust, people who are opposed to God. Sin is anything that is contrary to God's design and purpose for humanity. So any behavior that we have that is different from what he planned for us is sinful. And when that happens, there are natural consequences that result from it. But there are also consequences all throughout the earth because sin exists in the world. Theologians call this the idea of the fallen earth. That earth fell from grace when humanity did. And so now God's 
general blessing is no longer on it and sin and death is prevalent. This is why bad things happen because sin exists in the earth and runs rampant amongst us. The thing about the Maltese, when they saw the snake bite Paul's hand and they called him a murderer, they were right. He was a murderer. Before he became a believer in Jesus, he spent his life seeking to arrest them and have them executed. He testified several chapters ago in the book of Acts that he was once a murderer. He says it himself. So when they see that, they're absolutely correct. And so to them, it makes sense that Paul is being punished for his behavior. Another thing we have to understand about God's justice is not only are we unjust, but above that, God is just. He's completely just, and he knows all things. And because he knows all things, all of his judgments are right. All of his decisions are correct. It's not like he's missing a piece of information when he decides something. So he can make every decision without regret because he sees the entirety of the picture. I once heard someone say, if we knew everything that God knows, we would answer our prayers the same way he does. Because he sees everything. So every judgment he makes is good and true and right and correct. Every judgment God has ever made is completely fair. Except one. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for the unjust and that that was God's idea. This is the only unfair judgment that he has ever made in the history of the universe is that he poured out all of his judgment and wrath that was meant for unjust man. He poured that out on his son, Jesus, so that now we don't get it. We don't get the judgment and wrath that we've earned. We're all sinful creatures who've earned the same snake bite that Paul earned by his sin, but we don't get it because Jesus took it for us. This is the message of the gospel. Paul could not be punished for his sins because Jesus had already been punished for his sins. The adversity that I am going through is not a punishment for sins I've committed. The adversity, the difficulties, the misfortune that you're experiencing is not punishment for your sin. It's not because God's mad at you. It's not because you did something wrong. He's not punishing you and he's not angry with you for that. He can't be. He poured that out on Jesus. He's already punished Jesus. And so now because of that, we have complete peace and hope with God, knowing that the things I'm going through aren't because God's mad at me, but because God wants to use them for his glory. There's another side of this Christian karma Opposite of the one who says, if I, if I do wrong, God's going to harm me. It's the other side that says, if I do enough good, God's going to bless me. This is not the lifestyle that the Apostle Paul lived. 
He's giving his entire life to the spreading of the gospel. And everywhere he goes, people want to arrest him. They want to throw rocks at his head. They want to do hurtful things to him everywhere he goes. That doesn't sound like blessing to me. And this false God that we sometimes worship in Christianity where we say, if only I would pray more, if only I would read my Bible more, if only I came to church more, if only I called my friends to pray for me more, God would bless me and he'd be pleased with me. And it's just not true. We're already blessed through Jesus. God's already pleased with us through Jesus. There's nothing we do on top of that. And when we have that idea, what we're saying is everything that Jesus did for me is not quite enough. So God, if you could give me a little more, I'm going to work a little harder because Jesus isn't enough for me. Everything we need is in him. What more could we ask for? This message that Jesus died for the unjust, that he gave his life for the sins of the world, is the message that Paul took everywhere he went. He would set up a camp somewhere, sometimes in a place where the local Jews were worshiping. Sometimes it was in a local forum where the Greeks were exchanging philosophies with one another. And he would begin to express this truth to them, that Jesus, that God sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for the unjust. This desire for justice that is within all of us, God put that there and he wants us to see that Jesus has satisfied it and that there's nothing we have to do to earn it now. And so this is also the message that he's taking with him to Rome, which is why he's on that boat in the first place. And he eventually makes his way to Rome, we learn in the rest of Acts chapter 28. And he he finds himself imprisoned there. He was under custody, actually, on his way there. And he he finds himself imprisoned for two years while in Rome. And, And in this home that he lived in, that he was imprisoned in, it was kind of a house arrest, he would teach and preach about Jesus to everyone who came into him. And many of them believed Many of them rejected what he had to say. And that's the reality of sharing the gospel, is that some people will believe and many people will reject it. But it didn't sway Paul one way or another. He didn't give up. He didn't stop sharing the gospel because many people wouldn't believe. Because success in sharing the gospel isn't measured by the number of converts we make. It's measured by our obedience to his command to share the gospel. That's how God views it as successful. If you, just, if you just tell them about my son, that's the win. He'll deal with their heart and their belief. We believe the same thing here. Whether people would believe in Jesus or not, we would still talk about him. Whether people come to faith in God, whether people believe the gospel, we're still going to make a big deal about Jesus because That's what we believe helps people, and we know that some people will believe it. And so we, too, continue to share the gospel no matter what. In Acts 28, verse 30, it finishes up the book of Acts, and it says, The apostle Paul lived there in this house where he was in prison for two whole years at his own expense, meaning he had to pay for his own sustenance while he was there. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He let nothing get in his way, but he continued to share the truth about who Jesus was. While he's imprisoned, we know that he wrote four different letters to four different churches. He may have written more. We only have four of them. They're in the Bible. We call them the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And then the book of Philippians, while he's in prison here in Rome, he, he writes to this church that's located in a city called Philippi, where he had once visited and interacted with people there and it helped to establish a church that was there. And he writes these letters in chapter 1, verse 12. And it's really cool because we get a little bit of an insight into what Paul's thinking about his situation. In the book of Acts, we only really get the author's take on what's going on. But here in the book of Philippians, he's writing this within that two-year period that we just read about. And so we get to see what Paul's thinking about what's actually going on. In Philippians 1, verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me, my imprisonment, my shipwreck, my snakebite, all of the calamity and adversity that I've experienced thus far, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. He realized that all of his life circumstances were being used for God's purposes. He goes on to say in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's not blaming the devil. He's not saying that God has opposed him from sharing the gospel in Rome. He's suggesting that God has perhaps orchestrated all that is going on because greater good is coming out of it than Paul's own comfort. He goes on to say in verse 14, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word, to share the gospel without fear. It, it makes sense that if the, the greatest preacher in the history of the Christian church is in Rome, that he should be allowed to move about freely because no one else is going to share the gospel quite like he can. That's the Apostle Paul. But God sometimes doesn't make sense with the choices that he makes. And he ends up sending Paul to this prison while he's there. And while Paul's in prison, he learns that there are many other people who are realizing because Paul's in prison, no one's sharing the gospel. I, I should go share the gospel like Paul did. And it wasn't just one or two, but several. Many, he said, were being emboldened to go do what Paul had done before. Whereas if Paul weren't in prison, that wouldn't have happened. So his mission is having a greater reach while he's in prison because of the way it's affecting other people. This is how God works with the adversity in our lives. Our, our faithfulness to God in the midst of it, our desire to continue believing in him no matter what, our desire to continue sharing the gospel no matter what is what helps other people believe. So the difficult things that, that you may be going through, we can't look at them as punishment from God. We can't look at them necessarily as an attack from Satan. But if we consider that maybe God has placed me in the midst of it, and though I feel imprisoned right now and I don't 
know why. We can't even imagine the ways he's using that to help other people. And it's very often in retrospect that we learn of this having happened. The book of Acts has taught us many things, but some of the main things we've learned from it is that, one, we have to expect that adversity will come in life. None of us are getting out of it. We live in a world that is difficult and difficult things come our way and we have to find a way to navigate them and endure them. But another thing the book of Acts has taught us is that God is often glorified in our adversity. And he's glorified in our adversity when the gospel can be seen through it. When the snake bit Paul's hand, the Maltese learned of a different God whose justice had already been served. And had that not happened to Paul, they wouldn't have seen that that's who the true God really is, one who sent his son Jesus to absorb all judgment on our behalf. Finally, the book of Acts has taught us that God wants everyone to know about his son Jesus. And he's willing to do whatever it takes, perhaps even place us in the midst of adversity, to help others see the truth about his son, Jesus. The book of Acts ends seemingly with some some loose ends. We don't really get to hear the story of, of Paul going to stand before Caesar, which is why he wanted to go to Rome anyway. As a Roman citizen, he made an appeal to stand before Caesar during his imprisonment. We don't get to hear about that story. We don't get to hear about him interacting with the church that was already established there. In Rome. We don't get to hear about Paul's eventual execution in Rome. It just kind of ends that, that he was continuing to share the gospel daily. And I want us to consider that maybe if we turn to the page to Acts chapter 29, that it begins with our name, that, that our story is being written in the next chapters of the book of Acts. That God is using our lives to continue the story of the gospel on the earth. He's using our adversity to show others who his son Jesus is. We are writing the gospel story with Jesus because he's using all of the circumstances that we go through. I I get to pray with people all the time who are going through difficult things. And something that I pray often while we're praying together is that, God, you don't waste a thing. He doesn't waste a thing. Nothing that we're going through is useless. Nothing that we've gone through is purposeless. He doesn't throw anything away. Even our disgusting past, he can use it for his glory. This is... One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that he takes every part of us, past included, present included, future mistakes included, and he uses it for his glory because that's what he loves to do. What will your life say? What will my life say to encourage others to continue believing in Jesus, to continue sharing the gospel as we go on. We're, we're finishing the book of Acts today, but our lives are continuing the book of Acts as we go on. And, and at the end of our days, when we look at the Acts of Joe, 
or the acts of insert your name here and see all that God did through us, we'll realize that so much of it that doesn't make sense now makes sense. I'm going to pray for us. The band is going to return it. And during this time, we'll, we'll have time to, to worship Jesus some more. So you're welcome to stand during that time. You're welcome to stay seated and pray. We'll have people out in the gallery also who would like to pray with you if you need prayer. But I want us to consider how God can be using the adversity in my life to share the message of his son Jesus with others because it's not his punishment for me. It's his blessing for other people. Let's pray together. Lord, we... We are so thankful that you are good, that you're kind, that you are not punishing us. We're so thankful that you're not mad at us. We're thankful that you're in a good mood at all times. We're thankful that you are full of joy and full of love, and, and we are supremely thankful that that love is projected onto us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that love more and in understanding it, help us to love you more. Help us to see your purpose in the midst of our adversity. Help us to see how the difficult things we're going through are perhaps all part of your plan. We thank you for all that you do for us and that you don't make a bad decision. You don't do anything wrong. You don't miss a thing. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.